This week's chapter will be Lamentations 3, and we'll give it the title, Affliction of the Godly Patriot. In chapter 2, Jerusalem's sins cause God to become her enemy. And in this chapter, the prophet Jeremiah laments not only for the affliction of Jerusalem, but he also laments for the way that he, that he was treated by his own people. Um, when you look at, he's going to talk about in this chapter, he was mocked and ridiculed for telling the truth. Um, and, and we can relate to that today because we too are mocked and ridiculed for telling the truth. Uh, we're mocked for trying to help people. Um, not be deceived and try to help, uh, at the same time, trying to help our country. Um, so let us begin, after that introduction, short introduction, let's just get into the scriptures. Lamentations 3 verse 1. Now I will say this, there are 66 verses in this chapter, pretty long chapter, and they're grouped together in three, ver in the Hebrew manuscripts, they're grouped together in three verse segments according to the Hebrew alphabet. This is actually what is called um, an acrostic. I'm not going to go into it too much today. Um, but an acrostic is uh, a traditional or a real basic acrostic is called an alphabetic, uh, alphabetical acrostic. And it's where each verse starts with the next letter of the alphabet. So if, we're, if this was English, it would be three verses start with A, three verses start with B, three verses start with three, uh, C, and, and so on, all the way to Z. And uh, this chapter does that, but it's a, uh, in the Hebrew. You won't see that in your English Bible. So if you're looking for it to start out with A, B, and C, you're not going to find it there. Um, anyways, just want to throw that out there for those of you who like to dig a little deeper. All right, Lamentations 3, verse 1. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Okay, now Jeremiah is a type of Christ here in that they both experience affliction or the wrath of God, not because of their own sins, but because of the sins of the nation. And um, verse 2 says, He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Okay, you know, you think of Christ's life, um, the, how he was treated, how he was mocked and ridiculed, and all he was trying to do was help the people. He was trying to teach them righteousness. He was trying to teach them forgiveness, teach them all these principles of the kingdom, yet he was despised, rejected, and and crucified. So, um, you know, he... he you got to imagine how sad that must have felt for him as, as so many people rejected him just for wanting to, to help them. Verse 3, Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. Okay? So the, the prophet, he's feeling like the wrath of God is on him. Okay? Verse 4, My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath, he hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Okay? Now, I, again, I can't help but see a parallel between the prophet here, most likely Jeremiah, and the Lord Jesus Christ, is talking about his bones being broken. Um, <clears throat> think of when Jesus was on the cross and you know he was hanging there and his body was being broken for our sins. Okay, now Jer again, this wasn't the prophet's uh, sins. It, he's not being punished for anything that he had done, although obviously he's not a perfect man. Um, but, but he's a type of Christ here, taking the punishment for the nation. Now I do want to draw this parallel. Um, he was also a great patriot. He cared for his nation. He, wa he wasn't just thinking of himself. He wasn't just watching the nation fall apart around him and have it not affect him by saying, well, I'm going to heaven. You know, that's how a lot of churches, that's, that's their mentality today is, well, I'm going to heaven. I don't care about the nation. I'm glory bound. Everything could fall apart around me and uh, no big deal. Okay. Cause my, my, I belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. And that's, that's how they view that. And I think it's a skewed, inaccurate view because this chapter 
This is the crying out of a true patriot. And I will say this also, true patriots, true godly patriots, um, are often um, not liked by even the, their own um, fellow countrymen that they love and care for. Um, and that's what we see here. Jeremiah loved and cared for his nation, and he also wanted to serve God, yet... Uh, he was treated very poorly, as we're going we're gonna to see here in a little bit. So it, it, he says, it feels like I'm in the grave. Okay? feels like I'm in the grave. Verse 7, he hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. Now remember, Jesus was buried in a tomb uh, of hewn stone. Um, he also, you know, the chain that he carried was the cross, okay, all the way up to the the mountain where he was crucified. But uh, there's something interesting in this in this verse here. Also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. There was a time <clears throat> when Christ was on the cross. Um, when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he was quoting Psalm chapter 22, but I have no doubt that part of the price, probably even a more, the more significant part of the price that Jesus paid was uh, actually literally taking the sins of the world upon him, not just the physical pain, but actually being treated by God for that moment in time as though he were the sinner. And at that moment, you would, um, um, you know, I think the, probably the most painful feeling that anybody could have is to feel like you're separate from God. Not, phys not again, not the, we're not going to minimize the physical pain that he went through. But I think the most painful thing that he suffered on that day was a temporary separation from God. And some people think that, oh, that's blasphemy to say that. God would never forsake Jesus. But they forget about what he was doing. He wasn't forsaken Jesus because of Jesus' sins. Jesus voluntarily stood in our place. So, I, so um, there, there's a little bit more to go into that than just physical pain. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, verse 10, he was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. I cannot help but think of the bear and the lion that we're going to go up against in the end times. It's the beast kingdom of the Antichrist. Um, Who is allowing the bear and the lion to come? Ultimately, it's God. And God's servants, the true patriots, uh, true Christian patriots that love God and country, they're going to... Um, um, you know, be suffer affliction from both their own countrymen as well as this lion and bear kingdom of the Antichrist. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when we're reading these passages, this, these are probably some feelings that we are going to experience during the tribulation. We're probably going to experience, uh, in fact, I, I would almost dare say this is prophecy of our inner feelings when the tribulation begins. We're going to start wondering, you know, why, you know, I'm, I've been serving God all this time. Why am I suffering affliction with the people? You know, um, verse 11, he hath turned aside my ways. He pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision, now check this out, I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. Uh, you know, somebody brought up uh, Saturday Night Live uh, this morning. You know, Saturday Night Live always loves to mock, you know, Christians and patriots and, and godly people. Well, it was no different during the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the, was the prophet warning people what was to come, telling them to obey God. And, um, and, they, and they sung songs. They actually sung songs mocking him. I don't know. I, I wish I could know exactly what they, what they were singing, but we kind of get the idea. We see this stuff happening even today. Um, so Jeremiah is saying, they're singing songs about me, mocking songs, ridiculing me, my own countrymen. 
Verse 15, he hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. Okay, again, another parallel to the crucifixion of Christ. Remember when they uh, offered him the drug to uh, numb his pain on the cross, and of course he rejected it. Verse 16, he hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. Okay, there's another parallel here to something else that I think is interesting, and um, it's the book of Esther. There's a holiday in that book called Purim, and it is not a holiday that God ever commanded. Um, but it's a holiday, the reason why I bring that up, it's a holiday where they, they throw stones at their enemies. Uh, it's called, that's what Purim is, to cast lots and to take vengeance upon your enemies. And um, we even see that, I, I really believe we even see that celebration, the Purim celebration being uh, observed in the future when the two witnesses are stoned to death. Because immediately after they, they kill them, I don't know if it says they stoned them to death, I can't remember. But immediately after they are killed, the people of the world um, celebrate giving gifts to one another. And if you go back to the book of Esther, that's exactly what they did after they killed their enemies. They sent gifts one to another. So there's, there's a lot in that uh, a lot of deep truth in that holiday called Purim. It is not a godly holiday. It is not a holiday that Christians should celebrate. And um, it's a holiday that, the, that uh, I would say that belongs to the serpent seed. Belongs to the serpent seed. Verse 17, And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. So he's, he's kind of he's saying he's feeling like um, he's feeling afflicted. He's feeling like there's not any hope. And he's feeling like all is perished. Verse 19, again, remember, for those of you that maybe haven't been following all of our studies, Jerusalem had just been conquered by the Babylonians. The city laid in ruins. Uh, children were dying in the street of starvation. Mothers were even eating their own children to try to survive. Verse 19, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul has still uh, has still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Okay, he says, well, I've almost lost hope, but then he goes on and says, but then I, I remember, you know, basically he's remembering, as he's going to talk about here, God's mercy, and, um, and uh, he's, he's not, he has not totally lost hope, though he's, he's feeling like that. Verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Now, now I think about this, you know, whatever happens in America, I believe we're at a turning point. We could have a, a restoration, a little bit of a revival or a reprieve, but we could also be heading into the Great Tribulation. We could be looking at America totally falling apart like Jerusalem fell back here in the Book of Lamentations. And, um, you know, I just, uh, um, I don't think that we could, we could charge God with being unjust if he decides to do that. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't even deserve to have our freedom right now with as much, as, uh, much sin that is going on in our country right now with abortion, homosexual marriage. In other words, if God decides to end this thing called America, uh, he, he's got every right to do so, and he'd be just in doing it. Uh, I just pray that he doesn't and that he'll extend his mercies. Um, verse uh, uh, 23, They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Okay? You know, this, this is fascinating. You know, if you are a repentant sinner, if you're a true Christian, you fall short every day, um, it doesn't mean that you're purposely sinning or, um, you know, rebelling against God, but we're not perfect, right? So God gives us a new start every morning. And, uh, you know, naturally, you know, 
when somebody's having a bad day, people say, well, hey, there's always tomorrow. You know, uh, There's something about going to bed and waking up. A new day always just feels like a fresh start. Um, but that's what Jesus gives. Now, now, it's interesting because that's what Jesus' blood on the cross gives us every single day if we are um, uh, a repentant sinner striving to follow him. Verse 24, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Okay, wait for him. That, that's uh, patience. Okay, my wife has lots of patience. <laughs> we were just talking about that, but uh, that's different kind of patience. But this is, you know, uh, when we see things, when we see the evil getting away with the things they get away with, um, and it seems like it goes on forever, and it's like, why isn't Hillary Clinton in prison right now? Why isn't she being, why aren't all these well-known pedophiles, uh, why aren't they being judged, you know? Um, eventually they will get what they've got coming to them, and we've got to have patience. Um, and we also have, we have to have patience for the Lord Jesus Christ to return and to set up his everlasting kingdom. Um, and in the meantime, he says that we're supposed to be seeking him. Be patient, wait, and while we're waiting, seek his will. Verse 26, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now this is interesting. Why would it be better for a man to bear uh, the yoke in his youth. Um, you know, uh, if if somebody's going through, I'll take this for example. When it's it's actually better to become a Christian at a younger age than when you're, let's say, sixty. I mean, it's good for a sixty-year-old to become a Christian, but it's much better to become a Christian in your youth. There, that way, you experience all of the trials and all of the growing pains that come, that come along with it. And uh, you get that stuff past you. And then you have a life of, uh, um, you know, hopefully, let's say you become a Christian at the age 20. Hopefully by the age 25, 30, now you're mature and you're producing fruit. And you've already bore the yoke of the conditioning to become a, uh, a servant of God. Okay. So, Again, you don't want to have to do that in old age. It's a lot harder. Uh, verse 28. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. If so, there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled with reproach. Now, I think the prophet wants us to see that there was a heavy yoke placed upon him for being a patriot, for being a godly man, uh, a man that wanted to obey the commandments of God in a nation that was in rebellion. Um, it, was a, it was a heavy yoke for him to bear. Um, and, and here you even see Another parallel to Christ's ministry, he gives his cheek to him that smiteth him. Remember when, what was it, the high priest smote Christ on the, on the cheek and said, who is he, you know, mocked him and said, prophesy who did that to you or something like that. I can't remember the exact details, but um, we suffer. We, we remembered when Jesus said, um, hey, if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, that means you know, Lord of the Flies or uh, a demon, basically. If they called the master of the house horrible names like Beelzebub, Jesus said, how much worse things are they? do you think they're going to call you? Um, and so I think we got to get set for that. You know, in the tribulation, you look at the way Jesus was treated. Jesus says, we're going to get treated worse than he was even. Worse than he was. That's a pretty, pretty heavy thing to think about. Um, verse 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, think of the tribulation, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. 
Now, I'm going to say this, and I, and I don't want to say we're taking the sins of the nation upon us, because, um, you know, um, when, when Christ died, he paid, his blood paid the price for our sins. But in a sense, we're doing the same thing. It's just that our blood doesn't pay for sins. But we are making a sacrifice. Uh, when you're a Christian, you're making a sacrifice for your people. You know, just like a, well, I'll give an analogy, just like a soldier would when he decides to be a soldier and then he loses his life in battle. He's making a sacrifice for the nation. We're, we're really no different, except the sacrifice that we're going to make is not necessarily, not necessarily getting killed, but enduring, enduring the, the ridicule, the mocking, the scoffing, being cast away from uh, society as an outcast and things like that. Verse 33 for he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Okay, God, again, God is long-suffering that all should come to repentance. It's not his will that we have to go through all of, all of this stuff. Just as it wasn't his will for Jeremiah to have to, but it, but it was necessary. Verse 34, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth. Okay, he doesn't want that to happen. To turn aside the right of a... You know, again, this is the God of the Old Testament, right, that's saying this um, through his prophet, uh, the prophet, no doubt, Jeremiah. Um, you know, many people say that the God of the Old Testament is vindictive. He's, he's the mean God, and then Jesus came, and, he's, and now God's nice. That's not true. You see right back here, even though he has to bring all this punishment for sin, it's not something that he wants to do. He doesn't want to see the prisoners of the earth crushed underfoot. He doesn't want to see, verse 35, to turn aside the right of man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. In other words, God doesn't want to destroy. He doesn't want to have to judge. Um, but being a righteous God that he is, at some point, he has to bring judgment. Verse 37, Who is he that saith, and it cometh the path, cometh the pass, okay? I'm, don't worry, I didn't uh, change my ways there. <laughs> uh, who is he that, you know, you read from saith, and then you go to the next verse, and, it, and cometh, and then it, you go pass, the TH follows through there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, verse uh, 37, Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? Okay, these are the false prophets. They say, oh, the Lord says this and that, but it doesn't come to pass. There were a lot of those kinds of people during the days of Jeremiah. Okay, A lot of false prophets saying the Babylonians will not come. We can keep sinning all we want and nothing bad's going to happen. Peace, peace, peace. Okay, um, it, You know, and you also hear, you see a lot of these, uh, you know, television evangelists that always say the Lord spoke to me today. The Lord's telling me this and that. I even had a person on my YouTube uh, channel tell me that the Lord told them to tell me that homosexual marriage is okay. <laughs> and I just responded, the Lord does not talk to you. He would not, uh, you know, command you to tell me something that he tells me in his word is an abomination. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, these people are crazy. I, I think I mentioned something about uh, you might want to see if uh, those are demons talking to you or something to that effect. Uh, verse 38. <clears throat> Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good. Wherefore doth a living man... Now again, there, that, that's where I, I keep harping on that. Back in the Old Testament, okay, God doesn't need to repent for being a mean God in the Old Testament. Okay, Nothing evil and good comes out of God. It's all good. If it's Punishment to us? Yeah, it doesn't feel good for us, um, but it's not evil for God to do that. It's actually just. It's righteous. So out of the mouth of the high, uh, out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good. Wherefore doth now check this out? Wherefore doth a living man complain 
a man for the punishment of his sins. Now think about this. How many, you know, how many times when, when something bad happens to people, do they complain and say, God, that's not fair. Why did you allow that to happen to me? Um, and, you know, sometimes it's not God's fault uh, or it's not him bringing punishment. Sometimes it's just uh, the way it is. Uh, sometimes it's us doing something stupid and we're paying the price for being stupid. Um, but other times God brings a punishment for our sins and instead of sitting there complaining and saying, God, it's not fair, I, I don't deserve that, we all deserve death, number one. We all deserve death, the death that Christ uh, paid on the cross for us. So I guess my thing is, no matter what things we go through in, in this life, it's, it's nothing that we should ever complain about. Whether we go through affliction, tribulation, turmoil, we must always have the attitude that God is righteous, God is just, and I'm just happy to be alive. And I'm just happy to be able to have eternal life no matter what happens in this life. I know that's, that's hard for people to do, but um, <clears throat> we don't want to be complaining to God that our lot in life is not fair. Verse 40, <clears throat> Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou, now check this out, thou hast not pardoned. Okay? Now, now think about this. After he says, instead of complaining, why don't you search out your ways and turn again to the Lord? Don't sit and complain and say, you know, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen to me? I'm a good person and all this kind of stuff, you know? Um... Try your ways. See if there's something that you're doing wrong that could be making God mad, number one. And, 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 and contemplate that in prayer and say, you can even say, Father, please help me. If there's something I'm doing that's angering you, if you feel like God's putting roadblocks in your way or he's, he's, he's bringing some kind of punishment your way, it's a good idea to make that prayer. Say, Father, please show me that wickedness is, that's in my heart that needs to be gone. Um... And, uh, but I will, I will comment on this. Thou hast not pardoned. But we always hear that God, um, you know, we can just sin and do whatever we want and God forgives. Is that, does anybody think that's always the case? No. No, especially if you do it willfully. But now, now Jesus can forgive sins that you do on earth. Um, uh, you know, God will forgive you by the blood of Jesus so that you can enter into heaven, so that you can gain eternal life. But there are still sins we can commit as Christians, and even non-Christians, that God won't pardon on the earth. He'll, bring, he'll judge you for it, here and now. Um, you know, there are a lot of examples of that. Um, you know, somebody, if they want to go uh, sleep with a prostitute, let's say they're, they're a Christian and uh, they just got weak and they decided to sleep with a prostitute, God can give you uh, herpes or AIDS or something like that. Um, you could still get eternal life. You know, you could still repent of that, but you may still have to suffer the vengeance of God for that decision. Um, God could... Uh, now, I don't want to... Um, freak anybody out or if anybody has ever lost a loved one in a car accident, it's not always God doing that. But if you claim to be a Christian and you're out there rebelling against God, God might decide to send you home through an accident or something. I mean, God can do that. And why am I bringing that up? Look at Jerusalem here. You know, it came to the point, historically, where the people rebelled against God so much that he said, I'm not pardoning their sin anymore. I'm bringing wrath. And remember, when you look at what happened, again, the Babylonians violating the women, all of the men being killed, the children dying in the streets. This is the picture of pretty much God's most severest, severest punishment upon a nation. Totally wiped out the nation. Not totally wiped them out, but totally... Uh, <clears throat> destroyed the nation and sent them into captivity as slaves in another land. I mean, imagine that. That would be about the worst thing we could think of in America right now is if the Chinese came here, con 
killed all, you know, took all of our, our wives and daughters, violated them, killed all the, uh, you know, killed most of the men, and took everybody else and brought them to China for slave la- uh, as slave laborers. I mean, think about that. That's what happened to the Israelites, and they deserved it. They deserved it. Um, verse 43. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain, thou hast not pitied. Think about that. There, are, there comes a time where God will not pity. You know, there are also, um, I, to blast, Jesus said in the New Testament, uh, to blast from the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for that. Now, many people say, I often used to look at that and think, well, that means you're condemned to hell if you blast from the Holy Spirit. It may be, it may be. But I also am open to the idea that God may just punish you severely for that if you blast from the Holy Spirit. And um, you're not going to be forgiven for that sin. You will get some kind of punishment. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but there are... The reason why I bring that up is Jesus does mention, does mention the fact that there are sins that um, cannot be forgiven. They are the unforgivable sins. Um, I don't know how many of them there are. We know there's only, we know of only one that I can think of, and that's the blast from the Holy Spirit. That that would be the unforgivable sin. Um, <clears throat> now it says, "Thou hast not pitied." The whole book of Hosea. You might want to mark this down. That it, when God decided to judge the Israelites, you know, a little bit over a hundred years before He judged the house of Judah. They were carried away. They were defeated by the Assyrians and carried away into captivity in Assyria. And he gave a whole story of the Israelites encoded in names. And I'm trying to remember the names at this point. I can't remember. But one of the names means it was a Hebrew name that was translated to mean pitied. And one was not pitied. And it told the whole story where God was going to not have pity upon the Israelites he was not going to hear their prayers for, oh, God, help us now. He wasn't going to hear them. And then there was another time where he said they would be called pitied, where he would have compassion on them. Um, so I just want to bring that up because that, that does tie into this book. We don't have a lot of time to go into it, but um, there it is. Verse 44, <clears throat> thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. Now think, have you ever felt like your prayers were not being heard? Um, sometimes that can be a, the, the result of rebellion, sin. There's something in your life that God is really not happy with, and he's probably looking down at you right now saying, hey, I'm not going to hear your prayer until you, number one, repent, and number two, actually start trying to obey me. So if, if you get into the hip, you know, these Christians today, they... Um, uh, so many Christians today just think that we can live however we want. You just get up and you do, you know you can just say oh um, sorry God sorry God you know uh, and and that you can just keep repeating that over and over again and not actually strive to obey. You don't they don't actually strive to obey. Eventually some eventually God gets upset to the point where he doesn't even uh, listen to their prayers. In fact. The prophet says that uh, it's like a dark cloud over them and it blocks the prayers from going up to God. Verse 45. Thou hast made us as the offscoring and refuse in the midst of the people. Now, now this is pretty graphic, actually. It's translated really nice. In other words, he's made the people as though they were human waste. Okay? Human waste. Verse 46. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and snare has come upon us, desolation and destruction. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Again, this is a true godly patriot. He, 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 he's now, he was talking about all the afflictions he got from his own people. Now he's afflicted because he's watching the destruction and desolation of Jerusalem. <clears throat> Verse 49, Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not 
without any intermission. Till the Lord look down and behold from heaven, mine eye afflicteth mine heart because of the daughters of my city. So he says, I'm crying and I cannot stop crying at the destruction of my country. Verse 52, mine enemies chase me sore like a bird without cause. They have cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. Again, there is another parallel to the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the enemies chased him, they crucified him, and then they put him in that dungeon, or eventually he was put in the dungeon with the stone rolled over on top of it, the grave, the tomb. Verse 54, waters flowed over mine head. Then I said, I am cut off. I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Thou hast heard my voice, hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry. Thou, again, now, now think about this. During the tribulation, we're gonna, uh, if we're here during this time or whoever's here during this time, this is going to be the outpour this is the prophetic outpouring uh, the prophetic outpourings i should say it's a prophetic statement of what our emotions will be like okay hide not thine ear at my breathing at my cry so there will be times you know in the great tribulation that you think is god with me is he just letting this happen to me why uh, why, why is he doing this? Verse 57, Thou drawest, drewest near in the day that I called upon me. Thou saidest, fear not. Okay? Now think about that. He, he's feeling afflicted by God even, but then he can hear the voice of God saying to him, fear not. Okay, fear not. Verse 58, O Lord, thou hast pleaded the cause of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. O Lord, thou hast seen my wrong. Judge thou my cause. Okay, of course, Jesus didn't do any wrong. But this, the prophet, like I said, he had his own sins. Um, you know, the nation wasn't being judged for his sins. He was feeling the wrath of God for their sins, but he still had his own personal sins, just like we do today. Verse 60 Thou hast seen all their vengeance and all their imaginations against me. Speaking of those that were persecuting and mocking him. Thou hast heard their reproach, O Lord, and all their imaginations against me. The lips of those that rose up against me and their device against me all the day. Behold, they're sitting down and they're rising up. I am their music. Again, that's why I brought up Saturday Night Live and all these other comedians. It's become the point of, uh, you know, they, they, they ridicule and mock Christians. And everybody, you know, all these millions of people in their households are laughing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you think of that. That happened during Jeremiah's time, but they didn't have TVs. But I'm sure he, he walked by the, the taverns or whatever and heard the songs of them mocking him in their taverns, you know, getting loaded and drunk, talking about, you see that dumb fool Jeremiah telling us not to sin anymore? He says, the Babylonians are coming. <laughs> you know, that's how, that's how people view us today. They think we're a bunch of crackpots. You know, the, we tell them the Antichrist is coming, the New World Order, the, you know, we tell them that the Antichrist and New World Order are coming and uh, America could fall to this beast kingdom. And they think that's crazy. That's nuts. You know, and, and they laugh at us. We are their music. Verse 64, render unto them a recompense, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. So he's actually praying for God to take vengeance on his mockers. You know, um, we're often told that we should just pray for our mockers and you know, those that ridicule us. But there's also a time where I guess you can pray against them as well. Verse 65, give them sorrow of heart, thy curse unto them. Persecute and destroy them in anger from under the heavens of the Lord. Now think about that. That's the last verse of this chapter. 
where the prophet actually prays for God to take vengeance on those who mock and ridicule him. Um, so I guess I would say, hey, if, if you... Um, if sometimes you get a little angry inside against your mockers and your scoffers, it's a natural thing. The prophet, the prophet here had those feelings as well and actually prayed for the destruction of his enemies. Um, so in conclusion, again, a true patriot, a true godly patriot, he will, su- he will feel affliction for his own nation if it's, in, if it's being invaded by foreign forces, and he'll also feel the affliction by his own people for trying to save his country. So as a Christian, our affliction in that sense is twofold, just like it was for our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, he, he, he cared for, remember when he said, go but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? He wanted to, he, he uh, tried to help the Israelites, tried to give them the gospel, but they rejected him and crucified him. And he actually, we're going to talk about it in our uh, communion here, he actually lamented over the city of Jerusalem because they would not hear his words. Um, so, again, just to repeat, this whole chapter was a foreshadow of what Jesus would go through um, during his three and a half year ministry. And it's also a, a foreshadow of what I think we will go through during our three and a half year ministry in the Great Tribulation. Questions or comments? I think it's interesting, uh, just this whole <clears throat> lamentation, I haven't really studied it myself. Um, but, like we've talked about a million times, and most churches, you know, feel good, love and grace, and mercy churches, would never teach this because some people, if they're weak in their relationship with God or whatever, I mean, could actually turn them off to God, you know, because it's like, what kind of a God? I've heard people say that. What kind of a God to do this? What kind of a God? And <clears throat> I think that's interesting right there, just that there's parts of the Bible that are never talked about because they aren't happy and loving and fun uh, but if you really take this to heart it's convicting in a good way mm-hmm. you know it, it kind of gets the fear of god going in me and make starting to make me just while you're you were talking i'm just sitting here going through my mind of sins or things i need to repent of or you know like you said the prayer of god to show me you know if there's anything that's impeding our relationship to uh, make it known and and that's what's beautiful about a book like this mm. it, it's kind of humbling and and it uh, kind of spurs the fear of god in you right which <clears throat> isn't always a pleasant uh, thing to talk about or think about you know and uh, especially when you look at it in the context of the tribulation but anyway so i appreciate that part of it uh, you know that it it does put god in kind of this mean light but if you look at it from a spiritual perspective it's actually very healthy and helpful, mm. you know, to a modern day Christian at least for sure. Yeah. And uh, what was the other thing I was thinking? Uh, oh, just like you were saying, how patriots get mocked and ridiculed, and my initial thought is, well, I think of a patriot as like a soldier, and, and nowadays it's kind of a good—it's a good thing to be a soldier, you know. Mm-hmm. Even the left kind of say, oh, we you know support our soldiers, kind of. But but when you think about it, like. People like Donald Trump, I'm not saying he's a prophet or anything, but, um, and people that support Donald Trump, basically patriots of this country, all we're trying to do is make this country great and be closer to God and give more freedoms to people, more opportunities to, we're, we're only trying to do what's right and good and healthy. And I have never seen anyone get more persecuted than Trump. You know, right. by a nation, at least half a nation, wants him dead, basically. But now he's got the coronavirus, and they hate him, and they will just do nothing but attack him and call him names. And he's just a guy that could have retired an easy life and been just fine. Instead, <clears throat> he gave up his easy life because he loves this country and wants the best for it. And for some reason, 
half the country just hates him and hates everybody that supports him. And uh, so I agree with you that they do mock patriots. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's just a very confusing thing. I don't. It's got to be the. It's got to be Satan because what else? There's no other explanation for a group of people trying to make this country better, and half of the country doesn't want that. Yeah, that's a good point, and probably should have brought that up in our in the study. Um, yeah, as a whole, Christians are mocked and ridiculed, but Donald Trump right now, as I mean, he literally is an individual like Jeremiah, even though Jeremiah was, you know, when I'm not trying to compare again Donald right. Trump to Jeremiah, but right. Donald Trump is being mocked by name continually, literally, whereas people don't even know our name. You know, it's just Christians, you know. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, I definitely see some application to a true patriot like him in that sense that he just wants to make our country great, and yet he's hated for yeah, it. You think he was Satan the way people, yeah. you know, half the country believe talks him. It's crazy. Anything else? Um, just when you're talking about, like, the God of the Old Testament being, like, a big meanie and kind of having to punish, you know, even his own children and people just not being able to grasp that or whatever. You know, he put us through this flesh life, but he did it in a way because he already knows all those feelings and um, just that I think, you know, as parent, you can kind of look at how you raise your kids. And, of course, you're not trying to be a big meanie to your kids, so he looks at us like, uh, you know, we are his children. So if you kind of try to think how you look at your own kids, and yes, we punish them and we yell at them, and we, but it's all because we care for them and we want them to stay on the straight and narrow. And we, you know, so sometimes like when I see bad things happening and I, you know, like you're saying, oh, he's just a big meanie, I kind of try to think of it as like, well, he is my parent and he just wants what's best for me. And that just kind of helps process that whole punishing, you know, mean God of the Old Testament thing is just like, you know, as a parent, you do anything to keep your own kids safe. Even, you know, where you, you even said he doesn't want to destroy or judge them. I don't want to punish my kids. I don't want to give my kids sentences. But I know that if I don't, what's going to happen to them? They're going to totally go off the deep end, right? So he's maybe looking at us in that same way. He doesn't want to punish us. He doesn't want to do those things. But if he just puts his hands up and says, well, I'm done, then what's going to happen to us? We're just going to totally go off the deep end. Yeah, then you'd be like an absentee father Yeah. that just didn't care about his kids. Yeah, or like, you know, as we've talked about many times before in Romans, what is it, 128, where he literally does, is just like so sick of the kid that just keeps saying, you know, blaspheming him and not following his commands, and he finally does throw up his hands and just say, fine, you know, I'm going to turn you over to a reprobate mind. So obviously you don't want it to get to that point where you, you know, annoy him so bad that he doesn't correct you anymore, and he does just say, fine, whatever. And mm. I kind of feel like maybe we're in that state where half of his children he's had to do that to, and the other half, maybe he's giving you some correction along the way. I don't know. He disciplines those he loves. Yeah. I mean, he loves all of his children, but obviously you get to a point where sometimes you can't enable your kid anymore. And, mm -hmm. Well, and another thing, too, is, uh, you know, when God punishes, like in the Old Testament, when somebody was given the death penalty, it, he would say, this is done so that all of the rest of the nation would see, hear, and fear and not do it. And that's, I think that's like, like Damien was bringing up. I think that's what the book of Lamentations really does for us. It makes us realize God really did do this. This is history. I mean, this literally happened. It was foretold of by the prophets that it would come to pass if they wouldn't repent. They didn't repent, and then he brought it upon them. So it's a, it's a real-life example of, man, I don't want to do that because I don't want, him to, I don't want to make him mad because I don't want him to do that to me. Um, yeah. Uh, a proverb came to my mind when you were talking as well. Spare the rod, hate the child. And uh, sometimes there are punishments 
that you say, no, you, uh, you can say you're sorry, but you're going to suffer. You still have to suffer some pain for this, you know, whether that be spanking, uh, grounding, you know, you can't just say you're sorry and then have it just start over all the time. Sometimes, yeah, that works, but sometimes you know that pain needs to be felt in one way or the other. Um, you know, many times when people are become a Christian, uh, they get into this low spot. It's, it's kind of, you, you hear that story a lot where they actually will cry out to God and maybe even blame him for what's going on. Uh, or even say they hate him. I hate you, God. Why'd you let this happen to me? And then God might show them uh, that it was their fault, you know. Um, because that, I guarantee a lot of people were blaming God when Jerusalem fell and their, maybe their little baby is dying of starvation in their arms, some of those mothers are probably blaming God. God, why did you do this to me? Uh, you know, and, but he did still leave a window open for the nation. Now think about this. He didn't destroy the nation entirely. He brought them into 70-year captivities to pay for... He brought them in bondage for 70 years to pay for their sin after the initial catastrophic judgment. Those that were left still paid, were basically prisoners for 70 years. And then he restored the nation. So there was still hope through all of that severe punishment. Um, there is something, another Old Testament verse that comes to my mind now, now that we're talking about this. There was the law of the rebellious son. And I don't know if this was ever, how many times this ever happened, but if, there, if somebody had a child that was, they wouldn't listen no matter how many times you punished them, and they swore at you, tried to punch you, and all this stuff, they would actually have the parent bring, the parents bring the child out to the city elders, and they would stone that child to death. I mean, so there, and some some people wonder, oh man, but that would you know think about all the children, just the threat of knowing that that could happen. Your parents could bring you out to the city square and have you stoned to death if you don't obey. That alone would make most kids obey. Um, but I think there's something even deeper there, though. I think that is a something that God is going to have to do. He's going to have to destroy his own children. That have been corrected time and time again, and they still are just a total, totally rebellious. And there's only one option left at that point, and that's destruction. Destroy that soul in the lake of fire because they're not able to be reformed. Um, any other questions or comments? All right, should we take a, a few minute break and then we'll do a short little, we'll read a couple of verses for the communion and then we can take that. Christian Overcomers is brought to you by the tithes and offerings of our listeners. If you would like to support our ministry, please go to ChristianOvercomers.com. God bless you and thank you for your support. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He Trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible sword His truth is marching on